How you doing, everybody? This is Dennis Michelson. Welcome to the Data Lab. This is where all the numbers get crunched, and using the scientific method, we are going to make you a smarter fantasy football player. Joining me as he does each and every week here on the Data Lab at For Frequency's Sake. After all, he is the professor, Mr. John Bush. John, great to have you back. Uh... Thank you, Dennis. I'm not a phony professor. I'm a real professor. Uh, just to let everybody know. Uh, if you ever are, uh, something funny happened in my class Tuesday night, they pulled up a website called Rate My Professor. <laughs> they were laughing at some of the comments uh, about me over the years. So if anybody's, uh, you know, knows that site is y'all can go see student comments good and bad and uh uh you know i mean they got comments about me from 2003 wow. i was even think yeah so uh back when i was a young pup now i'm old and tired but anyway <laughs> um so uh my students we were doing experiments and uh we had some confusion and we had to redo the experiment because, you know, we kind of caught it. It's kind of like, you know, the pot was boiling over and you have to kind of maybe redo the recipe kind of thing. And a lot of times I think in fantasy, you know, you've already done your draft at this point. It's week five and you, you won't get another bite of that apple. I mean, that's why people jump into daily fantasy is them the kind of like, damn it, I didn't draft player X, but I drafted too much of player Y. What it, daily fantasy is popular in a lot of ways. Obviously, the money, number one, but I think there's that feeling that you can correct the mistakes that you made in, in your drafting. Like, damn it, I'll never not draft whatever i'm always gonna do this or something and and so uh i think sometimes in things like daily fantasy and drafts and now lineups we get lots of different streams of data and opinions thrown at us Dennis. and so i thought and and you and i talked before the show we were just going to kind of do a general discussion about levels of information and differential data you know the arrows are pointing in opposite directions and how do we coming from the scientific you know point of view how do we deal with with that and i know from the weather point of view from your background probably had to deal with that constantly you would have this piece of data and that and they were telling you you know 10 inches of rain or it's going to be sunny and dry i mean i don't know if it was that extreme but uh why don't you start out telling us how you in your field would have to deal with conflicting data yeah it, it was it that was the toughest part of the job and you know folks don't understand that meteorology is a science 
but weather forecasting is an art form. It's no different than any other prediction of the future. I don't care whether it's you're predicting a football score, whether you're predicting the uh, price of soybeans in January, the stock market, where interest rates are going, the weather, anything that you're trying to predict the future of is an art form. It is not an exact science, but the science of meteorology is an exact science. So that's where the discrepancies start when it comes to weather forecasting. And weather forecasting, depending on what the subject is, I did weather forecasting for the north slope of Alaska, where you had very little data. The data was incredibly sparse. You were on the edge of the models back in those days. So you had to take that into consideration because in a gridded model situation, the extreme areas of the model are going to be less predictive than the meat and potatoes of the model because you have fewer data points to calculate a value off of. So I handled the extremes where you had so much data that you didn't even know how to sort it at first. You had to come up with a decision tree method to sort your data in a process to go from A to Z and to end up with a consistent product called a weather forecast. And if you went and did it different ways on different days, you were adding complexity to the system and you were increasing your chance for error. And this problem with fantasy football forecasting, especially when you're trying to do it on a weekly basis to decide if player A or player B is the better guy to flex, you've got total points. You've got average points. You've got all of these exotic stats like air yards and, you know, expected points after contact. And you you throw as many different combinations in as possible. The imagination out there in the fantasy football world has come up with some doozies for statistics. And if you concentrate just on fantasy points alone, you have different ways to look at fantasy. I've got my weekly values in addition to total points and average points. And then I've got my MVP index, which looks at, at the data from a weekly value as well. Then I've got my consistency index. We got the professor's counts over medium or calm data. We got defense against position data coming out of our ears. We've got snap data galore. We've got the matchup data from Vegas, and these are pretty smart people. So you have to factor in what they're saying about scores then you have the weather variables that can come into play at any football game and how do those relate to our chance of of fantasy football impact on any given Sunday so you add this all up and it's just this myriad of data professor so I think you need to have a way to sort it out it's it's like when you're trying to find, you know, those gold nuggets when you're panning, you know, 
through the, the muck in a creek and you've got to have some kind of a filter to get rid of the stuff that you don't want and leave just the gems for us. And so I think you do need to have a decision tree concept. But the thing in fantasy football is that decision tree, your decision tree, the way you come up with your players to start at a given week is going to be different than mine. It can use a lot of the same data, but we're going to end up in a different location when it comes to the actual way that we do this. But Professor, this is why people need to keep those diaries for their team. And just quick jot down. Hey, I got a, I, I got different. I tried something different this week. Let's see how it works. Write yourself enough of a note that you understand what it is before it happens. And then you can enter the result and have an idea. But doing the same thing all the time and expecting different results, that, of course, is the definition for insanity. But changing up what you do, even after it's been successful, needs to be the definition for stupidity, in my opinion. Uh, I, I will add the... There was a study that, uh, and I talked about this in one of my lessons. Uh, I goes over to Fake Pig a long time ago, and I transferred it over to our site. But there was a famous study where they gave uh, handicappers, and I think it was a sports like basketball or something, they gave them 10 variables streams of data in 50 and they measured a couple of things one was accuracy right were the handicappers as a group more or less accurate with 10 versus 50 and then their confidence and i'll cut to the chase the more variables did not increase accuracy, but they enhanced your security feelings. So my thinking with all this exotic is if you throw enough out there, and it doesn't mean it won't work for you, hence the diary, but I think you get a... I don't know if it's an unearned feeling of security when if you sample too much, you're confident, but your accuracy doesn't change. So I'm wondering, I mean, I understand that people are looking for clicks and advertising and subscriptions and all this to make money. If you come up with fancy things, you're, I don't think you're helping accuracy as much as making people feel more confident about the same level of accuracy and decision. So you could be tricked by that and you think, oh, well, I, you know, learn, uh, you know, snaps in the second quarter is the secret and you start feeling really good. And if your diary says that works for you over a long term, then, you know, 
if it works for you, then do it. But you can be tricked when it's like, well, it didn't work this week. It's kind of like in horse racing. I bet the first gray horse on the turf. Well, that worked one week, but it didn't work again this week. I lost all my money, lost all my profits and everything. And you can see people getting angry at the data. They'll, you know, well, it should be this way. It's like they want it to be this way. It says this horse does this, or this player always does this, always implies the past, but this is today. Game, the defense, the weather, the home versus away. Everything is different. People are injured, schemes, and usually we don't get the exact same things over again. And that can trick people. So I think there's this, they trick themselves by the level of confidence, but they're not getting any more accurate. So that was this famous uh, uh, study. And so I definitely wanted to bring that to the table. And uh, I think we then we wanted to uh, talk about how we deal with conflicting data, Dennis. So I'll let you start on that. But I wanted to add that piece because to me that you can get drawn into fancy things and they may not help you. And again, we're circling back, back to the diary concept. We haven't left it, but we've circled back to it. What works for you? And that's the key, Professor, is on a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about. It comes back to the basics. You know, they say in in football, it comes down to the basics of blocking and tackling. In fantasy football, it comes to having a good data set. Okay, we've got multiple data sets here, so we're in good shape there. And now it's having a strategy for attacking this data set. Now, I don't always like to look at the projections that somebody else is doing, okay? I don't like to necessarily look at the website that I'm playing fantasy football on or the app and say, okay, well, the experts say that 15.1 points for Joe today and Fred's only at 12, so I'm not going to play Joe. I'm going to play Fred. That's a very simplistic way of looking at what's going on. And by doing that, you're probably following the consensus. Not bad to sometimes follow the consensus, but remember in sports and in horse racing, again, we'll use this analogy because people are putting money on an event, trying to predict something. And when you're putting money up to predict the outcome of something, you are staking your claim that I know more than you do. And if you just followed the consensus in horse racing, you'd go broke faster than anything else you could do. You would win one out of three races and your ROI would be negative because you'd be betting the favorite all the time. And the favorite loses two out of every three races and the average payoff at most tracks is less than that outcome. So you will slowly lose your money. It's just like playing 
the slot machines at a casino. The slot machines at a casino are are scheduled to have a certain percentage of take day in, day out, hour in, hour out. It'll average out over the long haul. But the the business, the casino, is taking money from you. They're taking a rake. The rake is going to eat up your capital in any game of chance, but even in paramutual betting and horse racing and it will also eat up your capital in fantasy football because the idea is to beat the consensus. It's not to go along with the consensus. So what I use for my decision tree is I go back to my basic data, my weekly values, my consistency, and my MVP. If I look at those three sets of data and one player has a big edge on the other player that I'm considering starting, I look at that difference and I say, I don't care about the other factors. I don't care about defense. I don't care about weather in most cases, unless it's going to be a a snowstorm, Armageddon snowstorm, or it's going to be, you know, the the storm of the century. Then I'll, I'll take a look, but I'm done. If my guys have a big enough spread, I know from history that a, a high MVP index or a high consistency rating, that player has performed well against tough defenses. So if he's got a big enough edge on the player, now where's big enough edge? That's where it's kind of tough. But if I've got a three to five point difference in my weekly value, and I've got a 10 point spread in the MVP index or the consistency number, That's enough for me to base my decision solely on that. If it's a lot closer, then you've got to dig into the next set of data. And I'll look at your counts over median data. I'll look at the defense against positions because if I've got two equally matched players, when I say equally matched, it just means they're close enough that they're in the same tier when we're thinking draft. They're in the same tier of drafting them for my starting lineup. That's defense against position data will will tell me the right way to go. How do I know this? Because I've played with it. I've had a I've got a game plan. This is what I use. I write down any exceptions to the game plan and I see how well the game plan performs. And week in, week out, year in, year out. My game plan has performed very well because my data is trying to identify the most reliable fantasy football players. I want the most reliable fantasy football players in my lineup. After that, for my final starting position, my final flex position, whatever, you know, however big the lineup is, as you get down to that last position, that's when it gets tougher, and that's when you got to bring out all the data you can. But don't overcomplicate this, folks. As the professor said, 10 pieces of data was enough for good accuracy for these predictors that knew what they were looking at. 50 just made them feel more confident, but it didn't 
make them more accurate. In the weather forecasting game, if you keep looking at too many models, trying to find the model that says something, it's just like you're cherry-picking stats to make a point. You are just looking for some reason to change your mind. And whenever I did that in the weather forecasting business, my forecast always bombed. I think when when I'm dealing with things, I there's this balance of getting, it, people will say, too cute. I don't look at what, if I'm playing heads up, I'm not looking at their lineup at first. The, the discussions that I've had on decision-making under uncertainty is it's best to delay your decisions as long as possible while you're thinking and trying to access the Vulcan brain in you. Right? Remember, we as humans, the fast and frugal, the quick, right? I got to jump up the tree. Leaves are shaking, you know, in the weeds. Is that a saber-toothed cat or what? That's what triggers us, the fight or flight. And we all know that that can save us from getting chewed on by a cat, a saber-toothed cat, but that doesn't help in fantasy football. In fact, you can jump too soon. Right, you'll you'll overplay the data, as you say the uh, the projections. So I flip the script on projections, and I ask the question and delay the data. Why is player A rated so high over player B? If I've got both players, I'm thinking, what am I missing? If I like player B, and everybody, the public says, is am I missing? T- Am I missing something or are they missing? That is a key that is a key set of questions causes you that's causes you to dig. Clear like yeah, you're clear like yeah, you're right. I've thought about it and drawn drawn. Don't just play still gonna play be still gonna play B. I'll show them. Who you mad at? You're mad at your <laughs> own money. You're not mad. You're not mad at your opponent. You're you're getting mad at your own self, your own money. Don't be mad at your money, Dennis. You know that. Don't do it. So I use projections that way. Not tell me what to do, but inspire me to think what is going on. How did I miss this? And remember, a lot of times quarterbacks, tight ends, those are kind of some of the easiest ones because you probably got an alpha and maybe a beta, you know, that was just there on the bye weeks, right? You got a Mahomes and, you know, say a golf or something. If you're lucky, you've got both of those. I got those in a few. But rarely am I going to play golf over Mahomes. I might, but I'm probably going to stay with the alpha more than the beta most of the time. So a lot of your decisions are pretty much going to be made for you. Again, I think you hit it. It's the flex. A lot of times the the RB and the WR are pretty straightforward on your alphas. 
you know, it's the flex or the multiflex where it gets tricky and tough. And that's where you can really, you know, information, you know, are you questionable? What's the layout? What's the latest weather? You know, are they playing on a Thursday night that I hate? Are they playing in <laughs> England? I hate that. So those, so the good news for us is if you don't get mad at your own team, you play to the strengths that you drafted, then you're only having to deal a lot of times with the flex. So the decision, you know, you're what, one or two? And so you have, you know, give yourself a lot more time to play with that, right? Roster bait on your flex only, right? If you roster bait too much, then, you know, you're going to get tired and you're just going to say, well, damn it, I don't know what, I'm just going to play this. You're going to get frustrated and you, you can't do that. You've got to focus your efforts on where it needs to focus, right? Dennis does agriculture. I assure you, those farmers know if the field in this part at the back end is tougher to plow, they're not going to just go and just worry so much about all of it. They, they take the easy spots, do that, and then, or maybe it's really wet and their tractors get bogged down. Why don't you take care of what you know works and then work on, you know, the tough problem. So I would say find your toughest problems of the week, focus on those and spend as much time as you can. And if your idea of time is setting the lineup Tuesday and, you know, swilling at the bar the whole rest of the week, then, you know, don't expect when you, you know, something happens Sunday. Well, how come I didn't do it? Well, you're not putting the time in. So put the time in, right? Put the time in. Quit getting mad at your own money. Put the time in. Chop the wood. Get the fire. Focus on where the decisions really need to be made. And don't beat yourself up about a bad decision. you got to leave the bad decision. Bad outcome. In the fear, good decisions, yeah. bad outcomes. Bad outcomes. So last week, I was really hesitant about what to do with Bijan Robinson. Okay, I've got a team where I've got DeAndre Swift, Bijan Robinson, Jamar Gibbs, Alvin Kamara, Ken Walker the third. Nice problem to have. Okay, yep. I liked Walker. I thought you know. I think he's going to get in the touch. He's going to get a touchdown. I love Kamara. And I really like Swift and Bijan. So I cannot. I, I, I dumped Gibbs out. Okay. So I said, okay, I don't think Gibbs is going to get all the volume. I think Montgomery's going to is back. I don't like that play. So I benched Gibbs. I benched Bijan Robinson. I played Kamara, Walker, and DeAndre Swift which means I also went ahead and benched Nakua. So I picked my spots with these guys, okay? And I said, okay, I understand that one of these guys is going to have a big game or two of these guys are going to have a big game on my bench. So what? I'm going 
with the logical plays and I will let it beat me or not. And add to the side between Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. Hate, hate, hate those early Sunday games over in London. So I played Burrow, took my hit, still won my game. I'm 4-0 with a roster like that. If I wasn't 4-0, I'd have a problem. But the key is Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross St. Brown, they stay in my lineup every week. They will never come out of that lineup as long as they're active. I don't even care if they're questionable like, like the sun god is this week. If he plays, he's in there. I don't care about defensive matchups. Hill and Brown are going to get theirs. Then it's a matter of how you build the roster around that. And right now, Swift is the hot hand. So I'm taking Swift. And this week, I'm taking Bijan Robinson. And thankfully, I got Walker on by. So I got one less decision to make. But if Kamara goes off on my bench, if Gibbs goes off on my bench, Gibbs has an easy matchup. Kamara's got a tough one. I've got Pittman in reserve, too. If any of those guys go off, so what? How did my starters do? Did my starters get me 10 or more points? That's what I'm forecasting for, Professor. Who is more likely to exceed 10 points on a given week? Those are the guys I put in the lineup. And people are saying, well, you're way too low. No, because my diary tells me that if I pick right, if I pick my guys that are going to score 10 or more, you know what's going to happen with a couple of those? They're going to blow up and have a big game for 20. And if everybody in my lineup gets 10 plus, though, I got a good shot at winning that line, winning that game, depending on what my quarterback, my tight end, my kicker, and my defense do. And I got the number one kicker in Elliott from Philadelphia, who I got on the tail end of the draft. And I'm streaming defenses week in, week out. Got the Colts this week. But here's one other thing I want to share with you. So after four weeks, you know how much I hate total points. But so many people grade how people did against consensus on the points. Top 10 at wide receiver. Justin Jefferson, that makes sense. Keenan Allen, of course. Tyreek Hill, of course. Puka Nakua, number four. That's a bit uh, against consensus. Diggs in fifth. Adams in sixth. That makes sense. Nico Collins in seventh. A.J. Brown, Mike Evans. I don't even find Mike Evans a surprise at nine. The Sun God at ten. Adam Thielen? Remember how much we're pounding Adam Thielen in the offseason? How many shares we have in best ball? And then Devontae Smith, number 12. So out of those top 12, I'd say three complete surprises. Heck, we didn't even know who Nakua was. <laughs> Back in, in March, we were like, who is this Nakua guy? He's what? Day three pick? I guess he's got a shot. He had good college stats. But anybody in March predict that he'd be top five at wide receiver at this point, at any point in the season? No. Nobody was in on Nico Collins. I have a lot of Nico Collins. Like this kid coming out of college. 
Last year was horrible. Oh, it was horrible. This year he's got a quarterback, and he learned how to play NFL football. What a surprise. He's now number seven. And then Adam Thielen, cagey old, reliable. You knew he was going to be in the top 20. I I knew he was going to be in the top 25 at the very least. He was a gift at his ADP, and he's in that discussion for a top 12 spot after four weeks. This is how you play fantasy football, folks. You just beat consensus. I didn't predict Nakua would be the fourth best wide receiver, but how much Nakua did I have us draft in best ball this year? I took him 19th in a dynasty startup. Nico Collins is another guy. I took some of Nico Collins. I took some of John Mechie. I took some of Bobby Trees. I took some of everybody. I took a couple of Tank Dells. Why? Because I had no... Oh, and I took a lot of Dalton Schultz. But the key is, somebody had to lead that Houston team in targets, and it wasn't clear who that was going to be, so I diversified my investments. Some of those investments have paid off nicely. Some haven't. That's the way you have to play fantasy football. You have to take your shots where you think you got a guy above consensus, you if you're really right, it's not because if you say a guy is, is better than 45th and he scores 43rd, that's not a hit. But if the guy is top 10 and you said he's better than top 45 and you were able to add him to your team, you are going to win a lot of fantasy football games this year. You just have to beat The consensus, you don't have to be perfect. That's what makes fantasy football easier than people want to make it out to be. Focus on where you need to make your decisions. Don't get mad at your at last week. You can't, it's gone. And that's some of the hardest things is it's a mental game. Okay. We just need to make the playoffs, okay? So you're never – to me, I, I I play to the whistle, and even if I don't make the playoffs, that week before the playoffs, I'm trying to mess somebody up. I just can't feel right just kind of rolling over and playing dead. That's not how I do it. So I got 38, 39 teams, and – and I say one of the reasons that I like having so many is almost regardless of who scores a touchdown, I probably got it on a team or two. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm always feeling up about, you know, I mean, this week I know exactly right now, and we'll see if T. Higgins plays, but I drafted a lot of Boyd uh, as an injury tough and I I'm having to play a lot of him and uh a fire move I've drafted a lot and now I'm I'm gonna be playing a lot of uh Logan Thomas. So if I see some of these that I know really need to come in for me, I can say I'm gonna have a great week versus a eh week. So Right now, and I, I've still got flexibility, and I'm not making final decisions, 
because uh, our waivers run tonight. I love Wednesday waivers. I don't like Tuesday waivers. So uh, Dennis and I are going to go over his waiver wire in our sister podcast, the Science and Fantasy Football Podcast, that we'll start recording here after this. So you definitely want wants to hear that. But we had charged with how do we do decision-making under uncertainty. You focus on where you need to. You keep your diaries. Make your decision tree like Dennis does. Look at his MVP. Look at his consistency. Look at the Vegas lines. We hadn't talked a lot about that. But Vegas will do something called over-under. And I have found with some research that lots of predicted points is probably good things for fantasy and low predicted points are probably not so good. It doesn't mean certain positions won't have their day under any of those conditions or not, but it's an overall, it's like we're the fish, right? Are they in this pond or that pond, right? I, I want to fish where there's a lot of fish. And Vegas points us towards that. My defense against the position points us to the matchups in general about rushing, passing, wide receivers, tight ends, kickers, that kind of thing. So you get an overall flavor, a high shootout game, and are there some cherry spots, right? Like uh, if Baltimore it says there's the tight end is, is really good, well, that's Andrew. Okay, so I definitely am happy about that because I've got Andrews in, in some leagues. So that's the kind of thing versus, oh, it's extra tough, you know, with the running back. Well, Hmm, maybe they're moving back to the flex at that point. A word, some of these, if, if especially flex decisions, that can make or break. That can be the last piece of evidence to move a player in and out of a flex. But I'm not making usually that decision till Sunday morning. I get up, hit the coffee, get the caffeine, and I'm I'm roster baiting all the way to red zone. So, uh, you know, I'm not goofing around. I mean, I got I got 39 leagues. I, I don't have time to watch cartoons and goof around. You know, I've got to hit it hard, right? And, uh, you know, I'll party after the season's over when I'm cashing that money you donated me in the leagues I'm in. And I, I do appreciate it, those that help me uh, make extra money every year to buy food for my French bulldog here. He's hungry. <laughs> and you got to remember, folks, if you want to win in fantasy football, you got to chase what matters, not just chase after the consensus or chase the crowd. And you can find out more by heading over to scienceoffantasyfootball.com. Check out the professor's lessons plans. They're fantastic. Whether you're relatively new or a casual fan or a hardcore fantasy football junkie, like us and check out the defense against position data that is your oh, one, yeah. number one source 
every week that will help you make those tough decisions. Check out the professor's uh, accounts. That data is coming. Oh, yeah. Counts over median data as well. Check out all of this data, but don't overthink it, folks. Find your own sweet decision tree that works. You can also read about some of my stuff over there at the scienceoffantasyfootball.com. Listen to our sister podcast twice a week as well. And then head back here to Four Frequency Set Sake next week for another edition of The Data Lab. Get to work, folks.